morning again, everyone. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John. We are in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand so we can bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Get it up high. We've got some fairly new Bibles in hand, so... If you don't own one, consider this one a gift. It's all yours. You can have it. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 this morning. I think I've heard the pages stop turning now. I think you must be close. So, John writes, starting in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Let's stop there for right now. The title of my study this morning is Growing Out of This World. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning to be in this place where we can be in your word, Lord, and we know that your Holy Spirit is moving and working in our life and desiring to speak to our hearts this morning through your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd give us a ten of ears to receive all that you have for us. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that's done here this morning. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon the teachers that are downstairs teaching our children and the teachers that are teaching the youth, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts as well and these kids even at a young age would come into the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that for up here as well, Lord God, if there's anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, through your word and through this time this morning, they would see their need for you and they would turn to you this morning, receive the forgiveness of their sins. So thank you, Lord, for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you know that Robert Wadlow was the tallest man in the world, 8 feet 11 inches tall when he died in 1940. Do you know the smallest man in the world was Chandra Dengi, who was the smallest man ever. He died in 2015 at 22 inches tall. Can you imagine the difference between that 8 feet 11 and 22 inches tall? I don't know if you were a kid, you know, your mom or dad had a pencil mark on the wall in your home. You know, where they would just mark, you know, just how tall you were when you grew. Imagine for these two guys going higher and higher and higher. And one going, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I know, you know, when they did at our house, you know, you'd look, at, oh, man, I'm growing. I'm growing a little bit. And it was exciting, you know. My problem is, I, as I grew in height, I, my width stayed the same. You know, I, I was tall and really, really skinny. Now it's the opposite, you know, I'm going in weight and my height stays the same. Aren't you glad we don't mark the walls horizontally? I mean, that would not be good. Why? Things change. We grow. Well, in the same way, these verses, we see see this growth chart, if you will, to show just how much we've grown. 
to see if we've really grown in our relationship with the Lord and to see how we've grown out of the things that were in our past life, things that were in this world. Because we need to be growing out of this world where the things of this world, they just don't fit anymore. They're no longer lure us in. We're going to look at that in a moment. But if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to see three things, three points today. We're going to look at the family, number one, the world, number two, and the will of God, number three. We begin with the family. See, here in verses 12 through 14 that we just read, John is speaking of the family of God and where each one is at in their walks with the Lord. And not only once, but he dresses them twice in each of these Verses, three verses. He writes to the little children, to the fathers, and to the young men in these verses. Now, it's more than likely that John is referring not to their actual age. He's referring to their level of maturity in the Christian life. The little children would be the new believers. The fathers of the mature saints. The young men are those that have been saved for some time, but they're still kind of growing and maturing. Because when you think about spiritual life, you have to think about growth. When you think about life in any form, it's li- life is equal to growth. Growth is evidence of life. You plant a seed in the ground, you know it's going to grow into a plant. You plant, plant. You, you have a small puppy. You can't plant puppies. You have a small puppy and, and you know, man, this thing has grown into a dog. It's huge, you know. Or you have a baby in the house and they become an adult. So life is equal to growth. Where there's life, there's growth. Where there's growth, there's life. It's certainly true in the spiritual realm. God, who gave us spiritual life in Christ, intends that in this life that we grow. So John starts here by pointing out the growth in the children. He says in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. And verse 13, because you have known the Father. See, one of the very first steps a person takes as a newborn babe in Christ is that of entering into God's forgiveness. That's where it all begins. It begins with this new life in Christ. Every person at every stage must come through that point of forgiveness. And as you do, you come to know God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ who died for your sins and who, who loves you. And I mean, that's, that's a great place. That's where you start. You know, there are, there are a lot of, of people that, that are new in the Lord and, and, and about the only thing that they know. Hey, I know my sins are forgiven. They're not really versed in Christian doctrines and, and they really don't know too much about the nature of God or the nature of man or the nature of angels. They really don't know that much about Christianity yet, but at least they know the most important thing. Their sins are forgiven. Well, then John writes to the young men in verses 13 and 14. He says, I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. And in verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. See, so often God doesn't put the babes in Christ, the new believers in the front lines of the battle, so to speak. He sort of holds them back and lets them learn and lets them, lets them develop. And, and we grow through the testing and the trials that we go through. But as we begin to mature, maybe you, you realize this, God allows some of these trials to increase in your life. Why? In order to strengthen your faith and trust in Him. That's why James exhorts us in James 1 verse 2 uh, and three, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces a work in your life. You're growing. It's a part of the growth process. It's a part of our relationship with God. It's the thing that causes our roots to go deeper and deeper in Him and in His Word. 
You see, the young man he's talking about in faith, they not only know the Father and know that their sins are forgiven, but it says that they've overcome the wicked one. How? By the word of God, verse 14. They've learned it's not just about quoting the scriptures, it's about living the scriptures, understanding them, applying them in their lives. And then finally, John writes to the Father, speaking about how they've known the Lord and how they've grown deeper in their knowledge. He says in verse 13 and in 14, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So, like little children, fathers know that their sins are forgiving. They understand the nature of the Father. Like young men, they've overcome the wicked one by submitting to the Word of God. And now as a result, they have a simple, a singular passion, if you will, uh, to know him that is from the beginning to know Jesus. As you walk with Jesus, the spiritual life gets simpler and that you no longer walk with him, uh, uh, that, 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 that you have fewer principles that you have to learn, so to speak. Okay, so you've learned these things. You've, you've gone through these trials. But you know, hey man, you know, I, need to, I need to walk in the Spirit. I need to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I need to, you've learned those things. So there's less things you have to learn. Now it all becomes about just living for Jesus and, and living to make Him known. And so we have this growth. Now how do you know, how do you grow from a little child to a father? It's through that young man stage. By being strong in the Word and in the Word of God abiding in you, reading the Word. Studying the Word. You know the Word. You feed on the Word. You walk by faith as based in the Word of God. You think biblically and you ground yourself in the Word of God. Then you're able to overcome the wicked one. Now, age doesn't matter as far as your children, young men, and father. You can be very young and be mature in your faith. Or you can be very old and be young in the faith. But here's the point. This brings us to point number two. The world, if you're taking notes, because as we grow from stage to stage in maturity, there's a problem... And every step of the way. Things that want to stunt our growth. And that's what John talks about in verses 15 through 17. Look at verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, that is interesting because we know as Christians, the one attribute that should mark every one of us is that of love. And it is true. We do love God and we do love each other. But one of the marks of a true Christian also we see is that you do not love the world. So there's, a, there's an appropriate time when you and I are instructed not to love. In fact, one commentator called this the love that God hates. See, there are three enemies that we face in this life. First, we face the, the uh, internal enemy. That is our own flesh, our old sinful natures and its desires. Then there is the external enemy, which is the world outside of us. And then there is the infernal enemy, which is the devil. Now, as children of God, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. However, until we get there, we have to travel through this world and with all of its allurements and all of its magnetic pull, but it's especially dangerous to young believers who have been more used to living in this world than those that have been walking with the Lord for a longer time. So the allurements are ever more present. But if you're an older, mature believer, there, there, there's enough temptation in this world to even pull the most mature believer into it. Now, this word world is used five times in these three verses. And it's because of verses like these that we have, as Christians have called certain people, oh, well, they're, they're worldly. And what it usually means is they're doing something 
uh, they shouldn't be doing. Oh, that guy over there, he's worldly. But I have found that the word worldly and worldliness are terms that are very cultural, very geographical terms. In other words, what one person may say is worldly somewhere or somewhere else would say, well, it's not worldly. I guess it kind of depends where you've been raised, what cultural upbringing you've had, what church you were raised in. Some churches teach that you are worldly if you're a woman and you wear makeup. J. Vernon McGee said, if the bar needs painting, paint it. He said that. I didn't say that. Okay, I just quoted him. Some have put prohibitions or limitations on the use of electricity or telephones or automobiles, any modern machinery is of the world, and they look at it as worldly. What our Amish friends don't realize is that a horse and buggy was just as worldly in the 1800s as a car is in the 2000s. You know, or this one. Among most Christians, if you drink or if you smoke, you are worldly. Pastor Chuck years ago told the story about a time when he was in Sweden with his wife Kay, and they were out with some ministers who said, saw nothing wrong with drinking beer. He says, we were all out to dinner one night when the ministers asked me, do you want a beer? Chuck says he was shocked by that. But then some of them were very shocked that his wife Kay drank coffee. They said to Chuck, oh my brother, we'll pray for you. What a poor witness, your wife drinking coffee. They all said that while they were drinking their beers, you know. Here's my point. It all depends on where you live, doesn't it? But there's one thing that's for sure, that worldliness doesn't have to do with just the outward, but always the inward. It's it's, it's not always the action, it's the thinking. You can be sitting over in the corner of the room and do nothing and still be worldly. Now you may say, well, I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't hang around girls that do, but boy, I would love to. Okay, you're kind of weird, but, but my point is it's all in the heart. That's why John starts in verse 15 with the command to any level of maturity in our walks with the Lord by saying to all of us, do not love the world. Well, the actual translation of that in the Greek is stop loving the world. It speaks of stopping an action that has already been going on. So there must have been some some Christians in this early church that were being allured by the things of the world, pulled in and, and involved with the things of the world, maybe flirting with the world a bit. Now what is John talking about when he says the world? Because we know that the term world is used in three different ways in the New Testament. Number one, it's a physical world. Acts chapter 17, verse 24, we read, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So the world and everything in it is God's creation. The oceans, the mountains, the trees, the birds, it's God. Is God telling us not to love that? Of course not. You know, whatever you do, don't be a tree lover, you know, don't you dare love that beach. No. That Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. And speaking of the lilies of the field, remember what Jesus said, that even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these flowers. And furthermore, in Psalm 19.1, says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. You know, here's the, the, the truth that I believe. I think that Christians can enjoy God's creation more than anybody else because we know where it came from. We know who created it. We can look at a sunset and go, man, my God created that just for me to enjoy. I mean, we, we can look at the mighty ocean and say, my, my God created that. 
when we look at the glory and the grandeur of God, we ought to appreciate our environment. We can stand amazed at the world that God created. So it doesn't mean the physical world. You know, you say, oh, I just love the trees this time of year. And some obnoxious Christian says, you can't love the trees if you're a Christian. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You say, oh, I just love my dog. You can't love your dog. That's of the world. Just shut up, okay? <laughs> That's not what this is saying. So we know that John is not speaking of the physical world. Then there's number two, the world of humanity. People. It's what Jesus meant when he said in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved people. So is that what John meant? Don't love people? <laughs> of course not. Now, obviously, I mean, you know, we looked at this last week. That would contradict scripture. If God so loved the world, then we as God's children should love God's people as kids. Second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But there's a third usage of this word world in the New Testament, and that is what John is speaking of here. Number three, it's a world in an ethical, moral sense. It's the invisible, spiritual, evil world system that is opposed to God. Turn in your Bibles uh, back a few pages, actually over a few pages, front forward a few pages, to chapter 5 and 1 John. At verse 19, just for a moment. Chapter 5, verse 19. Listen to what John says there. He says, We know that we are God, and catch this, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world, the worldly system, it's invisible, it's spiritual, and it is opposed to God. That word for world there is actually the Greek word cosmos. We get the word cosmopolitan or Cosmic, or if you're a Jetson fan, Cosmo G. Spacely of Spacely Sprockets. Um, it's a word that means to arrange something in a system or in order. But here John uses this word for world to mean the evil world system apart from God. It's an evil world system that Satan is the prince and the power over. You know, it's like this. You hear some TV announcers say, oh, Welcome to the wide world of sports. Well, is there a planet out there that's got you know, just soccer and baseball and football going on there? No. You know, it, it's a term. It means an environment in which people move and live in. It's a sports world. It's a medical world. Here, when John says, love not the world system, though, he's speaking of the evil world, invisible system, apart from God, the Bible says Satan himself is the head of, along with his agents, his demons. Listen to what Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, speaking of non-believers, he says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. I think of over in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted by, by the devil, Satan came to him and said, Jesus, just bow down and worship me. And, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, I will give them to you. They're mine to give if you just, you know, worship me. They're mine to give to whoever I, whosoever I will. You see, he was saying, listen, I'm the head of this uh, system, the supposed system to God. Uh, he's the head, and he, he had that, that, that power there. See, the head of the system opposed to God is Satan. His agents, his emissaries are the demons. And let me tell you, there's unsaved people involved in that as well. It's like Jesus called unbelievers children of this world. Luke 16, 8, in reference to financial matters, Jesus said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Now, I have to say this, much of this worldly system that we see around us 
is cultured, it's refined, it's intellectual, it's religious, but at the same time it's anti-God, it's anti-Christ, and doesn't get along with you. (laughs) The worldly system doesn't tolerate you if you are a Christian. They can't handle you. If you love Jesus Christ, if you are devoted to Him, you don't fit in. Turn turn back now to chapter 3 for a moment in verse 1. And I'll show you this this point. I know we're kind of getting ahead in, in, the, in the letter, but it makes the point. Chapter 3, verse 1, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Then drop down to verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, he's just reiterating what Jesus said to, to John. Back in John 15, verse 18, where he said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Listen, that's why we don't feel comfortable in this world. Because there's a system out there that's opposed to God. Man, and we see it today. So what is our response to be to the system? Not to love it. That's for sure. Do not love the world system. Now understand, John is writing, we looked at this before, John is writing to the Gnostics that had come in and taught that you should get as much experience out of life as you can, even if it's immoral, because it meant that you were adding to your experiences, which meant that you were adding to your knowledge, which they thought could only benefit your life before God. In other words, they were sinning in the name of God. Have you ever met a person like that? I've talked to couples before. They said, hey, hey, we're living together before we get married. And I know you don't like that, but we, we prayed about it. You prayed about it? <laughs> then you should have listened for an answer after you prayed about it. I've had people come up to me and say, well, I don't really have any biblical grounds, but, but I'm leaving my husband. I'm leaving my wife. I prayed about it. Well, you didn't wait for an answer. And you certainly didn't look to God's word for an answer. You see, that's making compromises with the world and the things of the world, sinning in the name of God. So you say, well, okay, Tom, we know that the world is bad. We've been watching this political process in our country. We know how, how horrible it is. We know that we're living in this rotten, evil world system that is opposed to God. So don't you think it'd be best, let's just get out of here. Let's just escape. Let's go in a little commune someplace, out in the middle of no place, and we'll just separate ourselves. Absolutely not. Because Jesus said, in fact, I want you right smack dab in the middle of it all. Listen to what he said to his father in John 17, 14 through 18. I've given them your word and that the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them and to the world. Notice that John, or Jesus rather, there is praying for preservation, not isolation. In fact, he says, I'm sending them into this worldly system. Now you may think, well, that's cruel. I mean, that's horrible. Or think about this when Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I send you as out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Whoa. I mean, could you imagine the disciple hearing that? What, you want to be eaten up by wolves or something? No, the point is, the wolves will become sheep through your testimony, through our testimony. You see, we talk about being in this world. It doesn't mean that we have to be isolated from the world. 
Otherwise, we'd have to leave the planet. But Paul wrote about that in, in 1 Corinthians 5.9. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. He's saying, now, I'm not saying you can't hang out with unbelievers. I'm saying that if, if Christians are claiming to be Christians and do these things, then, then separate yourself from them. But, but, but man, to, to hang out with unbelievers, you'd have to leave this world. Instead, his point is we, he wants us to influence those people, to win those people to Christ. Our job is not to isolate, it's to, to insulate. Vance Havner said this, we are not to be isolated, but rather insulated, moving in the midst of evil, but untouched by it. And I would not only add insulate, I would add infiltrate. You know, I, I would add we are not only to insulate, but infiltrate. Permeate the culture with the gospel. The best uh, description I think I could, I heard of this is like, you know, you put a boat in water, that's good. Put the water in the boat, that's not good. Put a Christian in the world, that's great, that's good. Put the world in the Christian, blah, 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 you start thinking. Well, now turn back to chapter 2 and notice that the second part of verse 15 that after the command to not love the world, there's a caution. John writes, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So John says, let me give you a hypothetical case, John says. Here's this person, he's loving the world system, but he's saying, I love God. If he's loving the world system, then the love of the Father is not really in him. You can't love the world system and love God at the same time. They are diametrically opposed to one another. I mean, you know, if you see a person living and breathing and acting like the worldly system, what is your conclusion? He's a worldly person. He's not a believer. I mean, if it quacks like a duck and looks like a duck and waddles like a duck, it's a duck. John says the love of God does not, does not dwell in him if you're in love with the world system. So John has been speaking in contrast. You know, here's a family growing in grace from infancy to adolescence to maturity. One of the marks of spiritual growth is that you don't love the world. If you do, the love of the Father is not in you. It's inconsistent with Christianity. James put it this way. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James 4, 4. So if you're in love with this, this evil system that is hostile to God and you're embracing it with all your love and you're looking to it for all your satisfaction, let me tell you, it's preventing yourself from experiencing God's love. God loves you, but you've got your life so full of these things of the world that he can't get through to you with his love. A lover of this world is not a lover of God, John says. Now again, he's making these contrasts. Here's a Christian, here's a non-Christian. Here's a family grown in grace, here's the world not loving God. At the same time, he's giving an exhortation to those of us that are Christians. Because I think it's very important to point out that no Christian becomes worldly all of a sudden. You don't wake up in the morning and go, I think I'm going to backslide today. It's a good day to backslide. No, it's a gradual process. It creeps up on the believer. It kind of, oh man, look at that. You kind of take that in. You kind of take this in. And even though we don't say we love the world, there are times that we flirt with it, maybe even date it a little bit, right? The allurements are strong, are they not? And it erodes away at our walk with the Lord. Now you may say, well, well what are those? What are the things of the world? Well, John answers that for us. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And those are three radical categories. Amazing categories. And I say categories because when Satan came to tempt Eve, he came to tempt her in those same three categories. When Satan came to tempt Jesus there in the wilderness, he came to him in those same three categories. Someone had put it this way, Satan really only has three strings on his guitar, only three tunes he can pluck. And there it is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now they can break down in all different facets, but he really only has those three categories. He came to Eve. He told Eve, hey, are you hungry, Eve? Don't you think this fruit would taste great? The lust of the flesh. Now, I don't know why someone said it was an apple. I mean, maybe it was some apple farmer. I don't know, someplace, oh, it's an apple. They didn't say it was an apple. Personally, I think it was a fig. Okay, I'm just saying, I love figs. They're so delicious. They're, you know, so... But who knows what it was? You know, it's probably some exotic garden of Eden fruit that we no longer have. But I am sure it was beautiful to look at. And that would be the next category, the lust of the eyes. Man, look how beautiful this, this fruit is to look at. You know, Eve saw it with her eyes. Maybe, maybe you know, he ran it under her nose. Oh, just smell that. Oh, man, probably held it up, you know. Oh, maybe he broke it open. Oh, look how beautiful it is. Delicious. Then came the pride of life. Eve, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Your eyes will be open, just like a wall. Pride. And she and Adam fell. Now, Satan came to Jesus the same way. Same three strings, same three categories. Are you hungry? Lust of the flesh. Remember? Jesus is fasting 40 days. said he was hungry. Satan comes in. Look at these rocks over here. Man, you can turn them into bread. Now, Jesus could have easily turned them into bread. I mean, and they probably, there's so many rocks over there that look like bread. I mean, you can imagine this, this, this big bread roll and maybe put some butter on it. And you know, they didn't have the wide loaves of wonder bread that's all filled with air like we have now. When they made bread, it was bread. You know, heavy-duty stuff probably is, is, looked like a rock and as heavy as a rock. But man, you could turn this into bread, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, we pointed that out already. Jesus came and took him up to the, to the mountain and showed him all the kings of the world. Bow down and worship me. I can give you all these kingdoms. You don't have to go to the cross. Then there was the pride of life. Took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, Hey, you jump off of here. Everyone's going to see that the angels are going to come and save you and, 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 and everyone will hail you as the Messiah. Same three categories. He did it with Adam and Eve in the garden and he did it with Jesus in the wilderness. Now here's the difference. Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. Jesus conquered it in the wilderness. Adam was surrounded by the presence of God, his beautiful wife, all the fruit you could want, all the animals to ride and pet and hang out with. It was great. Jesus, he's in the wilderness, nothing but dirt, stone, and rocks. He's alone. He's hungry. He's thirsty. Hasn't any trees to eat from, and Satan came to him, and yet Jesus conquered over Satan. He defeated Satan in the way that Adam and Eve did not. And, I might add, he did it in his humanity. In his deity, Jesus could have said, turn the rock into bread. How about I turn you into bread and put you in a toaster? I mean, he could have done that. He didn't use any supernatural powers to defeat Satan. Only the word of God. It is written, you shall not tempt your Lord your God. It is written, man should not live by bread alone. It is written back and back. 
So if Jesus uses the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to conquer Satan, so you and I, we have that same power through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to come against this evil world system that is being run by Satan and his demons and pulling us into it. Same power, Word of God. You know, we can break these categories or temptations down the, the same way. The lust of the flesh is our passions. You know, what are we passionate about? The lust of the eyes is our possessions. The pride of life is our position. And as we give in to them, it dulls our senses to the things of God. We're no longer hungry for the Word of God, but the things of this world. And it becomes our passion and our possessions and our positions. And I might add, it ruins our testimony. And again, we can take this back to the family. You know, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the sins at the youth of age. The lust of the eyes, the sins of middle age. The, the pride of life, the sins of old timers. Proud of their accomplishments. Look at what we've done. We've arrived. But I think it goes without saying that we all know all three of those sins can hit every age, no matter where you are in your relationship with the Lord. And we need to resist them. Listen, folks, we are living in a day and age where, which I feel that Satan is attacking in these areas greater than ever before. Paul talked about it in the last days that perilous times would come. He writes in 2 Timothy 3, 1, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, those days are here. We just look out, we can see that in our world. We, we live in a, in a day and age where the opportunity of fulfilling the lust of the flesh are countless. The lust of the eye, Satan has opened the floodgates of lustful material websites and, and billboards and movies and TVs where there, there seems to be no holds barred. Anything goes. It's set up to either design to inflame our, the passions, to start your mind to thinking in the ways of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, working together, creating desires for fleshly fulfillment that's outside the confines that God has established. Bottom line, watch out. Watch out for the lust of the flesh. Be careful that your passions are subjective to the Word of God. And if you're a young, single person, your sex life needs to be submitted to the Word of God. If you're a married person, your sex life needs to be submitted to the Word of God. Do not yield yourself to the lust of the flesh and violate God's Word in your relationships. There's other areas we can give into the lust of the flesh. I mean, we can sin through gluttony. We can sin through laziness, through drunkenness. These are all sins of the flesh. Watch out for the lust of the eyes. David said this in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Man, we live in a materialistic world, don't we? And many times, you know, we, we forsake God to get some possession. We see that ad on the TV for that car. We see that, that, that home show. Man, i got to do this to my house. Oh, i got to have this. Then, then, oh, then I'll be happy. And finally, watch out for the pride of life. Be careful that your heart doesn't get full of pride. Psalm 138.6 says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. So walk in humility. Listen, if God has blessed you, if you're well off, you've raised your family, you have a nice house, you drive a nice car, have lots of money in the bank, you're retired, man, it shouldn't be, man, look what I've done. Man, it should rather be, God, thank you so much for giving me more than I ever deserve. I don't deserve any of this, but you have blessed me so much. 
Be careful we don't get lured into the world system and, and the, the ideologies and, and, and the views of the world. Or as we point out already, John says, stop loving the world. Stop an act that maybe already has been going on in your life. Anything that stands between me and my God, the love that I have for God, the experience that I have for, for God's love, anything that stands in the way of me doing what God wants me to do is worldly. And we need to prevent it from creeping in. This brings us to our final point, and we'll close with this. Number one, the family. Number two, the world. Number three, the will of God. Look at verse 17. John says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What an awesome promise that is. Do you know that this verse, 1 John 2.17, is inscribed in the headstone of D.L. Moody's grave? This was his life verse. And he lived it. He was a man sold out for God. That D.L. Moody heard someone say, the world is yet to see what can happen when somebody totally surrenders to God. And D.L. Moody said, by the grace of God, I will be that man. And, and, and I believe that he really became that man. He knew that the world was passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Here's the culmination of this whole point. The world, the things in this world, it's not going to last. It's passing away. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness? What kind of person ought you to be knowing that this universe has an end? What kind of person ought you to be knowing that this evil system is going to come to an end? Certainly not a worldly one. Rather, he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, if you are this way, if you would say, I don't really like this message of yours, preacher man. In fact, I'm waiting for this service to, to be over. I was dragged here. And listen, if you have no desire for spiritual things, in fact, you love this world, you embrace this world system, that's where you feel good, that's where you get your satisfaction, and you're thinking, I am not going to budge, I'm not going to become a Christian, I like it where I'm at. Here's my advice to you. Go for it. As an old beer commercial used to say, go for all the gusto you can. Live to fulfill every fleshly passion, lust after, go after for all the possessions you can get. Climb as hard as you can to, to attain that position, that status. Fulfill all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You go out and you suck this world dry like an orange. Get every bit of satisfaction and joy out of it. And if that's where you're at, then go for broke because that's the last good time that you'll ever have. Because this world is passing away, buddy. There's, there's going to be no more joy for you. So if that's where all your joy is wrapped up, then make it a good one. But here's a better option. Think ahead. Think of the future. This world is passing away. It does have a determined end. God's word does not lie. So why not trade in the love of this world for something so much more enduring, something that will outlast the system? John says, whoever does the will of God. So, if you're dedicated to doing the will of God, then you're a part of the family of God, then you will abide with Him forever, as the Scripture says. I love what the late Jim Elliott wrote, the missionary who gave his life witnessing to the Aka uh, Indians, and natives. he said, He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Isn't that great? So to sum it all up, if you're a Christian, you're part of the family of God, and we're all at different stages in our walk with the Lord, some, some young, some old, some, some in between. But we all should have an adversity to the things of this world because as a Christian, you're not a part of this evil world system. A system that is opposed to God 
It's ideologies, it's antichrist, it's philosophies that is opposed to God. And a person who is involved in that is not a person who loves the Father. But let's face it, folks, we have to live in this world. In fact, God has put us here and kept us here to live in it. You know, I kind of look at it like Christians, we're like scuba divers. You know, we're swimming in a very murky lake, you know. Now, the water isn't our natural habitat. Garbage isn't a part of our natural habitat. For us to survive under that water, we need scuba gear, special equipment, right? So it is with the Christian. This world's not our home now. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we need God's Holy Spirit. We need Christian fellowship. We need the Word of God to stand strong in this present evil world system. So how about it? How about a switch today if you are the things of the world system? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I love the song that we sang this morning. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. That's a Christian. The world behind me. He doesn't love the world any longer. Listen, the foundation of this world is crumbling, folks. I mean, we see it all around us. It's in the political world. It's in the physical world. It's in the cultural world. And it's in the monetary world. The world is quickly passing away. But he that does the will of God abides forever. And here's the will of God. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, the will of God is for us to repent to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of our sin to rescue us from this sinful world and this world system. So if you want to abide in the presence of God forever who loves you and has created you and has sustained you, then you have a choice to make. If, if, to decide to live it up in this world, to have no concern for the afterlife, or to follow Jesus, to look to the cross and to know that you can live and abide with Him forever. You know, people say, well, I just think when you die, you die and that's it. It's all over. You cease to exist. Let me tell you, if that's the way you think, if you're right, then what I've said to you this morning won't make, it make a bit of difference to you or me or anyone else. But if I'm right, if I'm right, it makes all the difference in the world to you. Eternity is in heaven with Jesus or eternity is in a place of eternal torment where the Bible says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is an eternity. God's Word says it. Are you willing to take that chance? I pray that you do not leave here this morning without renouncing the things of this world. Don't leave here without repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ. This world is passing away. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. No one's guaranteed today. Where are you at today? Give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful, Lord, because it's inspired by your Holy Spirit, given to men over many years. But it is your word, God, and you tell us the truth in your word. Father, you tell us that there are things in this world as believers that we need to be aware of, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I pray, Lord, as believers, that we would not be lured into these things any longer, but we would be focused on you and on your word and fellowship together, growing strong in our relationship with you. But Father, I also pray if there's anyone here that Maybe they've been living in the world and they've not turned over their lives to you. They've not surrendered their hearts to you. Lord, I pray that they're thinking about the future. They're thinking about eternity. Lord, that they would make the right decision to follow you this morning. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, is there anyone here 
You want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. You want your sin forgiven. You want to be born again. You want to know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? God bless you on the left here. Anybody else? God loves you so much. Sent his son to die for you. Took all, upon all of your sins upon himself to forgive you, to cleanse you. He wants to give you eternity, presence with him forever. This world is, is going to come to an end. There is an eternity. I want you to be in heaven with Jesus. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody else? For this one that has raised her hand. Why don't you just pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. And we as believers we can pray along with her. And this is just a prayer of giving your life to Jesus Christ. Just repeat after me. God I'm sorry for my sin. And I repent of it. Thank you for sending Jesus. To die on the cross. For every sin I ever committed. Jesus come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I'm now going to heaven. Thank you that I'm now a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.